0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to look at your word. We want to just ask you to be here as we look at this wonderful section of scripture that we're going to examine and that you will guide us in it in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and the Lord looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the all flesh had corrupted the, his way upon the earth, and God said unto Noah, The end of the fl- all flesh has become before Me; for the earth is filled with violence th- through them. And behold, I will destroy them with, with the earth. Make the, make you an ark of gopher wood. Room shall you make in the in the ark, and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And it and this shall be its fashion that you shall make of it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits, and its breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shall you make in the ark, in the, and in a cubic shall you finish it above. And the door of the ark shall you set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shall you make it. And behold, I, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein the, the, there is breath of life from under the heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with you shall I establish my covenant, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall you bring into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the fowls after their kind, the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come come unto you to keep them alive. And take you unto you, and take unto you all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it unto thee, and it shall be the food for you and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. We're going to look at this uh, section here. This particular story that God gives us is somewhat controversial in, in the world, because they're going, "How can this ever happen? And if you talk to people outside of creation itself and the resurrection of Jesus, the, the story of the flooding of the whole earth is something people will throw out at you as being controversial. So we're going to look at this and probably be more detailed than any of you probably want to know, but I like to be able to show you how true the story is. Because this is a very important story, because this is the, sho- the showing of God's. Protection of his righteous people during a totally violent period, and we read the first voice, uh, voice. Yeah, first verses, and God said the earth was full of violence and corruption. And another spot it tells us that every imagination of man's heart was evil. And this is a you, we can begin to imagine what that is like in our day and age because we are getting closer to this this time. Where people do wrong and do violence just because they want to. Now, not because they even have a reason, bad or good, but just because they want to do bad. We have people that lie just because they want to lie. We have people who steal because they just want to steal. We have our governments deciding that things that God say are, is sin is okay. Homosexuality being one of those that just got approved by our Supreme Court, not necessarily the government. But... We have them saying, oh, this is all good. Even though God says it's bad, it's good. And if you as a Christian say God says it's bad, they say, well, you just have to evolve with us and move into the, move into the 21st century and get, get with it. And we're going, no, God's standards are true forever. And But God is saying the world was violent and corrupt. People did everything they wanted to do. And he said that we saw earlier last week that Noah found grace. I love, I love the fact, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that the Old Testament is all God of vengeance and violence and, and, and bad. And the New Testament somehow he changed and became a God of all good and all, and all nice, nice. Well, God's grace and his mercy was very evident in the Old Testament. And his righteous judgment side is very clear in the New Testament as well. And if you don't believe it, just look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They went in and sold their property and told the church that they gave everything that they sold. And they didn't have to give everything, but they told everybody that they did, and God struck them dead for lying to the church, trying to make themselves look good. And it wasn't that they didn't give it all. There was no reason they had to give it all. They could have given it, but the fact was they tried to make everybody believe that they had done something they didn't do, and God struck them dead. Paul in 1 Corinthians said, "Many of the, your your church is sick because you have not been taking the Lord's supper correctly." So God's judgment still falls in our day and age. He has not changed; he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we find His grace and His mercy all through the New Test uh, Old Testament. We find His righteous indignation all through the New Testament, and even through today. <laughs> So I just want to bring that out as we we get into this. But Noah found grace, and God told him, "The end of all flesh is coming. I'm going to destroy this world." And we're going to skip to the end. How was he going to destroy it with a flood? Now, I want you to picture this because in in Genesis 2 we're told that God watered the land with a mist. When God says, "I'm going to send a flood," and water is going to fall from the sky, Noah has no concept of what's really being talked about. He's never seen a rainy day. He's never seen a storm. And he, So how does he know what God, says, what God says, rain's going to fall and we're going to flood this world? I just bring that out because you think about this, how much faith did Noah have to do this? And imagine in, in in Hebrews it says that he preached to them. Can you imagine he's preaching? Uh, water's going to fall from the sky, and we're going to, and God's going to flood this world. Can you picture preaching that message? Water's going to fall from the sky and flood this world. Uh, Noah, have you uh, been drinking a little bit too much? <laughs> what is this water falling from the sky stuff? We know a mist comes up from the ground and waters the ground and 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 waters our crops. This is a new concept that the water is going to fall. And yet it didn't bother Noah. <laughs> he just went and built built this ark. And we want to look at this, the ark's measurements. Uh, well before we do that, I don't know how many of you were raised in Sunday schools and everything, but there's a certain thing that happens in Sunday schools a lot of times. If my mouse, uh. sometimes you see this little tiny boat. <laughs> uh, you know, the elephants are almost as big as the boat. Uh, you got the rhinoceros there in the window, you know, covering the whole the whole uh, floor basically, of that, that boat. Do you realize the damage we do to our kids when we show them something like this? You know, here, here's Noah's Ark. You know, no, nothing would fit in there or, Worse yet the boat is so full the animals are hanging out the windows (laughs) which I don't know where they got all the extra windows but (laughs) we laugh at this because we're old enough to understand how ridiculous this is but you know when the kids grow up and these are the pictures they see in their Sunday school classes and then they get into junior high high school or college they go well you know that there's not enough room in the boat for all those animals and you think back and you look at the you remember the pictures that you saw of animals hanging out of the boat. And you go, you know what? They're right. They lied to me about this story. That is a very bad place for us as church or as Christians to go. Now there is an ark. <laughs> now in case you don't know, that is actually the recreation of the ark in in uh, by answers in Genesis in uh, Kentucky. Now, you see all the ants in front of it are the people celebrating the opening <laughs> of that boat. <laughs> now, that's a boat that if you see it, you can go, that boat <laughs> can hold a floating zoo for a year. <laughs> okay, and I bring these pictures up because I want us to see when God says that he's protected his people, he protected the people and the animals. Now, it tells us that the, the, the length of this boat Vessel was going to be 150 cubits. Now, a cubit is anywhere from, in most of the Jewish uh, renderings, to be 18 inches, or it could be an Egyptian cubic of two feet, depending on which one Moses was using when he told the story. So, the ark was somewhere in the vicinity of a 450 feet long to 600 feet long. Now. Once you bring up that length of the boat, a lot of people will tell you, well, you can't build a wooden boat that big. Well, the largest wooden vessel built was a USS Wyoming, all wood, and it measured, let's see, make sure I get the right, 449 feet. <laughs> okay, so we know that you can build a wooden vessel that long. So if you ever talk to somebody and they go, well, no, you can't build a wooden vessel that long. Well, we've done it. <laughs> it's a historical, it was a US Navy ship. <laughs> okay, so it was a legitimate ship. The width of the ship, of the, of the Ark, 75 feet, 50 yards, just narrower than a football or soccer field. And the length of it is a soccer, soccer field long. This is not a insignificant vessel. <laughs> And the height of it, 45 feet. Now that's a pretty good size vessel. Now we've shown you this picture, but I just wanna tell you to get a true picture of this, the Ark was approximately the same size as a World War II light aircraft carrier. (laughs) Okay, it is not a little tiny boat. that was not usable. And the reason I use an aircraft carrier, because we actually have specs. The the light aircraft carrier had a crew complement of 559 people and a plane complement of 28 planes, (laughs) plus room to sleep and and have exercises and and eat and all that stuff. So we're trying to get you a picture of the size of the (laughs) ark, okay? And get rid of those old Sunday school pictures of the animals hanging out of the the windows and falling out of the boat. But, you know, I also bring this up because we really want to get this straight. When we're talking to our children, we need to be careful what we tell them about these Bible stories. We need to be careful as well, because one of the things we do is we watch movies. (laughs) How many of you have ever watched a Bible movie in your whole life and then wondered where they got the story from? Okay, most of the Bible stories I look at when I watch them on TV and I've stopped watching them because I get so angry at them. I don't know where they get the story from. I mean, I recognize that the story kind of came from the Bible. But they add so much to it that is so unnecessary and make problems. When I teach the book of Exodus, I'm always having to answer the question, well, didn't this happen? Well, it did in the Ten Commandment movie, but it didn't in the Bible or at least it didn't say it in the Bible. And we're always having to correct these. I watched a movie on Samson and Delilah one time, and I don't know where they got the story from. (laughs) They had a Delilah and they had a Samson, and Samson was strong, but other than that, I I didn't recognize any of the story. So we wanna be careful because, we wanna be careful what we stick in our own brains, (laughs) but also what we teach our children. If you've got grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and you're telling them the story, be very careful they understand how big this boat was. That way when they get told by some atheist, well they can't build a boat, well no, there's a a ship that was built the same size. (laughs) Well, you couldn't fit all the animals. Well, that's the next thing we're going to look at because that's the next complaint. How could they fit all two of every animal in the boat? Well, the question on it, on that is, what did he take on the boat? Okay, um, and if we look at this, if you look at every type of animal there is out there, you've got probably millions of animals out there. But what did Noah have to take? Did he have to take an African elephant, an Indian, and a, and a Siberian elephant? No, he took elephants. <laughs> and they would have their minor adaptions to the other types of elephants over the years. Did he need a Dalmatian and a dachshund and, a, and a, uh, one of those little rat chihuahuas? <laughs> no, he just needed two dogs, <laughs> probably wolves <laughs> that could be able to move down. When you start taking that part of it down and you say, how many animals were there really? Now some people have it down to just around a thousand species of animals or uh, kinds of animals. Uh, one person who wrote a, a book said there was 18,000 18, species of animals. So having those low numbers, uh, the, the place that I was looking at, they actually said, okay, well, we'll say there were 50,000 animals, <laughs> kinds of animals, which more than doubles the, the, high, the high mark that most people that said, and they go, well, okay, can you fit 50,000 animals in that vessel? Well, the idea, answer to that is absolutely. <laughs> Because we think about this, usually when we think about this, we think about elephants <laughs> and giraffes. But you also have mice, ger- gerbils, rabbits, ducks, they don't take a whole lot of room. Ants. <laughs> but, but we look at this and we say, they, they, I've read through this and most zool- zoological books say the average size of a mammal is the size of a sheep. OK, because you've got so many little ones and then you've got some really big ones. Well, if you take this um, arc, the equivalent space in this arc in a railroad car is 569 railroad stock cars. <laughs> OK, uh, that's a pretty good sized train. <laughs> I don't know what the average sized train is. They were saying like 63 to 69 on an average sized train. That's a lot of trains (laughs) worth of stock, all right? 5,000 animals would be able to be fit into, let me get the right number here because I want to get this right. Would fit into 240 cars. (laughs) Okay, that is equivalent to using up 37% of the room in the ark for animals. The the Ark had three decks. You could put all the animals in the first deck or the lowest deck and have plenty of room for what what did God specifically tell Moses? Go get food and water. So you got animals on one deck, food and water on another deck, and plenty of room for Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives on the top deck, and that's if they just kept everything in the lower decks, okay? I'm really wanting to bring home to you that this was not a small vessel. And how, when we look at this vessel's proportions, it is true. The ratio to this ship is six to one, six feet long to every one inch wide, six measurements to every one across. The scientists tell us that's the perfect ratio for a seaworthy ship. All of our ships that are totally designed to be on the sea and withstand, withhold storms are designed on a six to one ratio. God gave it to Noah. He gave him that ratio. The amazing things that I just want to bring out this, how good God is. How much he put into this thought process. Remember, this book is written... Or this 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 particular book of genesis is written a long time ago about 4500 years ago before our science said this was the perfect measurements before all these things what shape was the ark we don't know <laughs> remember the one thing about the ark is all it was designed to do was float it really had no place to go so they didn't need to put sails on it they didn't need didn't even need a rudder all they needed is a little bit of, and they believe is this, as they show that they put some fins on it so that the wind would orientate it to the, to the waves, which probably makes a lot of sense. But it was only designed to float and come back down. You know, Noah didn't have a destination in his mind. It wasn't like he was leaving the new world, uh, the, the old world to come to the new world. All he had to do was float. And so the vessel may have been just a kind of squarish barge? We don't know. Might have had some sleek design. Again, we don't know. A squarish barge would have been a lot easier to build. (laughs) You didn't have to bend the wood. How how many people took and built this boat? We don't know. (laughs) Because that's one thing people ought to say, well, Noah and his four sons couldn't have built this boat. Well, they had 120 years so they probably could have built a boat just with the eight of them. (laughs) But he could have also hired people to build parts. It's not, there, there's no we, the Bible doesn't tell us how he built it. Only the God told him to build it. And I remember last week we talked that God said the the man's days are 120 that years. He had 120 years to build this boat. So we've got all of this coming in, and I just want to look at this, and then then people will go, well, how could Noah and his family feed all those animals? You know this is kind of interesting because there's a study uh, on in um, husbandry that says that eight people could feed 1200 animals a day They wouldn't do much else but feed the animals and that's if they used no mechanical means we were talking la- a couple weeks ago that these guys lived to be hundreds of years old by the fourth generation they have metallurgy. They're making bronze, silver, a uh, bronze and and uh, iron. They're well advanced in metallurgy long before Noah was building this boat. They're building instruments. We talked about that. Fine, detailed instruments: guitars, harps. They they were building trumpets, <laughs> brass instruments. We need to be very careful that we don't think of them as stupid people in Noah's day. How much did he have? Could he have rigged some kind of piping system to water the animals with a gravity-fed system? They were already building trumpets and everything. I don't think it would be very hard to build a watering system. Uh, Slotted floors for the animals to, when they do their business, could fall through the slotted floors, as we still do today in husbandry. And then you slant those floors enough so that the stuff falls into a central aisle and then you sweep it right out the, out the back. It would not have been difficult when we open our minds to say, could they have done this? Absolutely, they could have done it. And they could have done it easily with just a little bit of planning and understanding. So we wanna be very careful because, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that we have this mentality that they were dumb. <laughs> Somehow they were dumb. Why do we get that mentality? Well, unfortunately, we get it from school. You know, those, those dumb old cavemen that didn't know anything. And then we inadvertently apply it to what the Bible says. At least our thinking does. And then we read over that section where Cain's, Cain's descendants are making all these fine artistry things and, and metallurgy things that didn't come back again around until the Bronze Age after, you know, around 4,000 years ago. They had it before the flood, <laughs> and we had to rediscover it. You know, and you know, we want to be very careful because we always talk about discovering things. <laughs> we know that some of the ancient civilizations had some of the stuff that we've learned over the years. You know, we, we think about batteries and electricity being relatively new, and it is for us. But the Egyptians had batteries and electricity. Northern Africa had batteries and and electricity long, long, long ago. Men were intelligent before the flood and after the flood. Who knows what all was invented before the flood? We don't know fully other than what it tells us in the scriptures. And the little bit that it tells us, if we really grab hold of it, says maybe they were a lot smarter than we've given them credit for. Who knows how smart, what advancements they had. These guys lived 900 years. You know, gives you a long time to learn stuff. You know, because with age usually comes wisdom and understanding on things, or at least at least experience. You know, well I've seen this. I may not know exactly how it works, but I've seen it. Uh, if you do deal with you know any kind of hobby or something, it's like you've done you know you've done it long enough. You've done pretty much everything there is to do in it. You may not be good at it, you may not be perfect, or you've done it well enough that you're now perfect at it and really the teacher of others. But with time comes learning and experience. They lived a long time, they learned things. How much advanced material did he might, might, he, might he have he had in that ark? Who knows? Most people go, well, he didn't have nails. Well, they were making iron and, and stuff. They probably had nails in his ark to help hold it together. You didn't have to make a jigsaw puzzle out of the wood and use wooden pegs like so many people want to, to look at. They're already dealing with iron. They could have had lots of advanced features put into this boat. So again, I bring this up just so we can understand and grow in this area of our understanding of what's going on. Because we have our minds infected with this world's way of thinking. Very important that when we start reading the Bible, we start applying what the Bible says to our thinking and change that way of thinking. And remember when I was teaching about dumb man, I'd go, what what do you think of when you think of prehistoric man? And I told you the Bible doesn't have prehistoric man. It has the history of man from the very beginning. And man was smart, being taught directly by God for the first generation. Can you imagine what God could teach you if he was standing there talking to you each night? Let me tell you how this thing works. (laughs) But we're looking at this. How much could they have done? Could they have taken care of all those animals? Absolutely. Was there room in the ark for all those animals? Absolutely. Was there room for all the food and water they needed? Absolutely. Was there room for them to be having luxurious cabins, actually? Absolutely. And they had some kind of window, and we don't know what kind of window it is. uh, Many of them like this one will show you a little opening all the way around the ship, which makes sense for ventilation purposes, but even with only one window, it would ventilate very well. And so we just, I'm bringing these things out so that we had a different opinion of what kind of things were going on. And one of the things that we've been bringing out, uh, when were dinosaurs created? We've talked about this before. Dinosaurs were created on day five if they were in the water or flying and day six if they were land animals. Why do we know that? Because God created everything in six days. <laughs> okay, the water animals and the flying on day five and the land animals on day six. What does this tell us if we're following a biblical frame of reference? Man lived with dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, and they go, well, how do we know? Well, we can read in in Job where it gives two very clear dist- descriptions of dinosaurs the Leviathan and the behemoth uh, now the behemoth they like to tell us is an elephant and the you know, and it could be an elephant except for one minor detail when it says that his tail is like a cedar tree and if anybody's ever seen the tail of an elephant that little straight tail with a little bulb at the bottom uh, that really reminds you of a cedar tree I know it's uh, looks more like a fly swatter <laughs> but So we know that he's talking about something that sounds more like a brontosaurus type creature. Leviathan sounds much more like a a sea-dwelling dinosaur. And people go, well, the Bible never mentions uh, dinosaurs. Well, it mentions dragons. (laughs) And if if we were out here in in chloride and we had farms around us and a brontosaurus came around and was starting to tear up your, your, your fields, you would be sending an emergency message to the governor uh, government saying uh, we need a a knight or soldier in here to get rid of this huge dinosaur or dragon and there's enough pictures of these things and all through history if you go if you do just a cursory search over ancient ancient books and ancient monuments you'll find pictures of dinosaurs in their in their art in their engraved in their art right here in arizona we have some place where there's petroglyphs and it shows them hunting buffalo and and gazelle and, and, a, and something else and they get this thing this obviously a brontosaurus and we go we don't know what this is and they go to the next <laughs> next thing why can't it be a brontosaurus because what their mentality is that man didn't live with dinosaurs so therefore even though it's very clearly a brontosaurus it can't be a brontosaurus because they never knew about them you know the, the twisted logic that people will do to not agree <laughs> with what, they, what the facts show is amazing. And I emphasize this because we need to be very careful as Christians that we agree with God's word. His word is going to be true and proven true. For decades and millennia, they said that David n- never existed. He was a figment of, some, he was like King Arthur. He was just a conglomeration of, of kings of, of Israel. And then in the 40s, they found proof that King David lived. <laughs> And they're going, oh, well, I guess he did live. We need to be very careful that we agree with the Bible because eventually the Bible is going to be proved. It has always been proved, always will be proved. Archaeologists love to go to the Bible and find out where things are and go find them. And they find them right where the Bible tells them it's supposed to be. We need to be understanding the Bible is true. It's going to be right. Right? It's gonna be correct. We just need to stand on it. And this happened during 1850s when evolution started and the theologians were trying to figure out, well, how do we fit evolution into the Bible? Well, the answer is you don't. <laughs> it just doesn't fit. But because the science, quote, unquote, empirical scientists were saying that it was true, then they were going, well, science is saying it's true, so therefore we have to figure out why the Bible's wrong. Wrong way to think as a Christian. These people are all saying the Bible's wrong. Let's wait until the Bible proves itself to be true. And that might put us on the hot seat for a long time. But you know what? It's going to prove that we're right in the long run. It will always be proved out in the long run. We talk about the second coming when, when the days get like Noah and God's going to come along and rapture the church. And a lot of people laugh at it. Even a lot of Christians laugh at it. Well, how can God do that? Well, God's all powerful, He can do what He wants and one day he's gonna take his church out of there. Now, how is the world going to explain it? Don't know, don't care really. (laughs) But I can also picture how they're going to explain it. UFO sightings and abductions and all these other things that are so prevalent in our day will be, oh, they finally took all those crazy Christians out of here. They purified the land that they created. And when I say that, I wanna be very careful because when I went back to college in the 80s, I had an instructor telling me all about how aliens planted life on this land, on this uh, planet and left. Well, when he was first talking about it, I thought he was joking. I thought he was making some kind of strange joke. About 20 minutes into his lecture, I realized this guy actually (laughs) believes this stupidity. (laughs) It's laying the foundation for the disappearance of the church. The aliens who planted us are gonna take away all these non-evolving Christians and the world will rejoice that millions have been taken away. Why? Because we're the salt, we're the light. We're the one that makes life hard on the the lost. We're the ones that say, no, it's wrong. (laughs) You can't do it. And the church has been the restraining influence on this world for many generations because the church will go, no, God says no. Now, we're having less and less impact in in these days, but we still, imagine how bad the world would be if it wasn't for Christians standing up and saying, no, it's wrong. It is wrong. Our world is getting to this point where they don't accept right and wrong. And I don't know how, how many of you have been around, anybody with higher education, but most of the higher educated people really truly believe that truth is relative, that there is no absolute truth. At least they say so. I know they don't because I've... I've told you I've talked with many of them and and shown them that they do believe in absolute truth. But for the most part our world is built on there is no absolute truth and this is where you hear that statement that may be your truth but it's not mine. Don't tell me what you think because I don't believe your truth. It is critical that we as Christians lift up God's word and his truth. And do it the best we can until he takes us out of here. And the end is coming soon. And people go, well, that's been said for for two millennia, and that is true. But you know what? We're a lot closer today than we were 2,000 years ago. (laughs) A lot closer. I don't believe there's another 2,000 years left with how evil this world is. I'm not even sure that we have decades left before the end will come. We need to be evangelizing people because the end is closer than we think. And even if it is two or three hundred years away, we still need to evangelize and get people to come to God. Because it is critical for us to do that. Because I can tell you right now, all of us know somebody in our family that's not saved. All of us know somebody in our family that's not saved. If Christ was to come tonight, they're headed for hell. We need to be serious about this. We need to share the gospel with our family, our family members. Maybe even be pushy about it again. How many of you remember when you were first, first become a Christian, how pushy you were with your Christianity? Maybe too pushy for some of us. But you know, the older we get and the longer we walk with God, we kind of go way too far the other direction to the point where maybe we are not pushy enough. We need to be sharing the gospel with our family. Have you shared the gospel with every member of your family that's not saved? And I don't, need you, don't mean you share it with them every single time you see them. But have they been given the gospel enough and said, you need to make this decision? We need to be so careful with this because the end is coming. And none of us are even guaranteed tomorrow even if Jesus doesn't come. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed tonight. We're technically not even guaranteed the time to go over next door and have dinner. In less than 20 minutes. We need to make decisions for Christ. To live for him. To share him. To to bring our families to him. Because the ultimate end is hell if they don't. And hell is eternal punishment. Eternal separation from God. How do we get saved? It's so simple. We admit that we're a sinner. We admit that we deserve punishment. And we say, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice for my sin. Then he comes to indwell us. And once he's indwelling us, we get changed. We get changed because he lives in us and changes us. The last thing I want to look at real quickly is here God gives a new covenant to Noah. And this is just the beginning of this first covenant with Noah. And in verse 18 it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, and your sons and your wives, and your sons' wives with you, and every living of the, all flesh. He says, I'm gonna protect you. I'm making a covenant to protect you, Noah, and your family. And a representative from all the animals. And you know, a lot of people will make fun, well, how did Noah get all these animals? God sent them. God handpicked the animals that were to go on the ark, which meant that if God picked them, they were the healthiest of the species they were the, the, the strongest of the species, and the ones that were best able to reproduce in the new world. And then a lot of people also mention, well, how come the animals didn't eat each other? Well, if you read carefully in, the, in here, the eating of flesh did not happen until chapter 9 in Genesis. That is when God said, you shall eat flesh, and He put the fear of man on the animals. So before that, and we know that it couldn't have been created to eat flesh because there was no death before sin. So when God created the animals, he created them as herbivores, plant-eating animals. Just as it says in Revelation that the lion shall lie with the lamb, meaning that the lion at the end, of when everything's all re- restarted, will become a herbivore again and not have to eat the meat before the... Before the flood, they were all eight plants, and we, again, what do we do? We look at the Bible, say the Bible's true. The Bible is true. We can't comprehend how all these animals that we know that eat meat were herbivores and then became carnivores, but you know, almost every animal will eat grass and leaves if it gets an you know has an opportunity. You can watch it. Your your dog will. The cats will. You know, all the animals will eat. You know, amazing, my dog loves fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Now, Lynn's always given him fruits and vegetables and he loves them. But the new covenant God gave to them was, I am going to protect you and the rest of the living animals. And Noah obeyed. So we just want to get those things covered. And we're going to close here and, and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at the ark and the protection that you brought in with the ark lord we ask that you help each one of us to really truly believe in the ark in a way that we may not have ever considered that it is scientifically possible it is physically possible and realistically possible for this to have happened and lord we just thank you for all of this and we ask you to be with us as we go on into the into the rest of the service with singing in your son's name amen